wedding planning got you down? Are you bombarded by family, friends, and Pinterest boards to have a big picture-perfect ceremony? With multiple receptions in English, Spanish, and Canadian French for extended family you've never even met? With rituals suggested by your aunt twice-removed's Wiccan cousins when all you want is a small and intimate service to tie the knot with the love of your life? With inflated and predatory prices being hung over every detail of your special day, you're probably feeling like you'll never financially recover from your inability to say no. That is, until now. Need help telling your mother-in-law you can't book the $50,000 event hall without selling an organ? Let our team tell her for you. No. Uncle Todd wants to walk you down the aisle instead of your dad? No. Seriously. WTF, Uncle Todd. Your co-worker wants to be your bridesmaid but would need you to buy her dress and pay for her hotel stay? No, no, and no. Now don't get too excited. Our service is competitively priced for the wedding industry, which you know is expensive. However, we will save you thousands of thousands of dollars because we have the one skill you don't. The ability to say no. Say yes to us saying no for you today. Greener Pastures, a podcast you turned on because you thought it was about lawn maintenance tips. Teresa here, flying solo for the episode. Today, I'm interviewing Justin Avery Smith, who is a comedy writer and, before COVID, improv performer based in central Massachusetts. He has work in the Broadway Beat, Robot Butt, Greener Pastures, and contributes headlines at the Whole Wheat Post. My favorite bit of his work is I have a superpower and it's called Wearing Combat Boots in Greener Pastures that we published in mid-April. We'll talk more about that piece during the episode, but definitely check it out. Welcome, Justin. So glad you could join us. Uh, Thank you. It's great to be here, uh, Teresa. I'm having fun. Now I have a very serious, hard-hitting question for you. All right. So once we go back to having house parties said hi to everybody, did whatever, and you see the table full of appetizers. This is very serious. Which one do you go for first? Cheese and crackers. That That's pretty good. We may have to arm wrestle over those because that is also my favorite, but but I will share with you. It's it's okay. Yeah, I know. I'm totally fine with missing out. I keep some like in my fridge and my cabinet, like just for myself. So I'm totally willing to let... Uh, let you have your <laughs> share, your share of the pot, as it were. You know, that's like my my late night snack is actually usually like cheese, crackers, and a Diet Pepsi. I, that's, that, you know, just really good comfort food, I have to say. I love those things. Now that now that we have the serious part of the interview out of the way, uh, let's let's talk comedy. So how how did you get started? Is this something you've you've done for years? Is this something you just got into? What 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 got you in? I mean, it was kind of a bit of like, I guess, like a domino snowball, like sort of thing. Because we're going like way back to the earliest. Like I did like a lot of theater from like middle school up until high school, even majored it in college. And then uh, I took a playwriting class and I noticed that not 
by any it wasn't an active choice but whenever we had to like write scenes for the playwriting class a lot of them were basically like sketches <laughs> and uh so i was just kind of and i was always just kind of whenever i would act and audition i always got put into like comic relief parts and sometimes even if it wasn't a comic relief part someone would say oh you were so funny and i'll be like i wasn't really <laughs> wasn't trying but i mean you you, you mean well so i'll take it as a compliment the comedy called you yeah exactly it's like i didn't choose this life it chose me (laughs) so you said now when we were talking before that that, and and now that improv was more of a beginning of what you did so you started theater where did you did you take improv classes did you just go to different events and learn on the job how did you pick that up yeah no i improv was something i always kind of like it was like on and off and like, like i grew up watching who's lines in anyway with my parents like i'm sure many improvisers that might have been their introduction into it mm-hmm. um we had it for like one year when i was in high school but then the people who ran it were seniors so they moved out and no one just kind of picked it up so i had to go the rest of my time without but then when it came time you know when i was in college and uh as a theater manager you had to intern at a a theater and of course most people like if you're in the Massachusetts area you'll know like there's the Huntington and the Lyric and uh whatnot but Improv Boston technically counted as a theater so uh I applied to intern there because I knew I liked comedy and I just know improv was just kind of like also I enjoyed it and I also knew it's what a lot of famous comedy people did early in their career so uh, I played, I actually didn't get the first time around, but I started taking classes anyway. And then I became on their email list and they said, we're open for internships again. And I said, please. And then I, <laughs> then I got it, uh, interned for a year. And then I joined the front of house staff, which was fun. That's pretty fun. So you've, you've done some improv and then when, when did the writing kind of kick in? The writing probably kicked in, uh, around interestingly along the same time when i was doing improv i also knew that uh or maybe shortly thereafter i wanted to write because i was i remember it was just so weird it's just like one of those moments i i was taking a summer class at suffolk and um for some reason i came across these like videos of people who worked at snl like uh Seth Meyers, Maya Rudolph, uh, Jonah Hill when he was hosting and talking about like what the behind the scenes process for that was like, you know, how they were like getting sketches. I'm like, that sounds like fun. Like I want to do that. And uh, so I quickly became interested in like uh, sketches, but then when I was kind of like, maybe like I haven't really done sketches a lot lately, but I kind of found myself fascinated, especially in a, after the 2016 election, just interested in current events, but also wanting to, you know, have those be palatable and somewhere along the way that became me taking second city's late night writing class. And that was really honestly like the first thing where I like, I joined and it was like, I like doing this and I'm getting a very good response to it mm-hmm. immediately, as opposed to feeling like I have to climb my way up like Mount Everest just to be considered good. And so it's like, okay, I'll follow that. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, obsessively like daily. I have about 2,600 monologue jokes under my belt, <laughs> but maybe only like a hundred of them are good or great, which I understand is to be a pretty good batting average for a comedy that's writer. Great. That's great. I mean, that's why we do it, right? You, it's it's volume to get to that, that quality work. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. So it sounds like it was sort of a mix between a natural progression for you from things that you were doing in the theater and then like so many people, we, we hit certain political events and, and you have to cope essentially yeah. mm-hmm. with what's going on. And, and that, that brought you to, brought you to satire and, and other forms of written comedy. 
So what do you what do you think about that then? You you've had this sort of trajectory. Where do you think you want to go with with your writing and your performing? Do you have milestones you're, you're hoping to hit? Are you hoping to make this your your full time paid life? What do you do you have a thought on that? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Though, because when I think about you know, obviously in comedy and also in life, success and like goals are very like subjective and open ended. Because I always, and I've always kind of found also there's like a bit of like a setup for disappointment and a danger when you say you look at like one specific thing and you say mm-hmm. like that's the thing I want, that's the goal. Like oh, I want to be on that show or I want my piece in that publication. Where like. I mean, it's great to have goals, don't get me wrong, but like, for, I also feel like if you put all your eggs in a certain basket, uh, you can kind of set yourself up for disappointment. So that's why exactly. I, I've just kind of learned, like, I'm happy if I'm working in any place where I get to be creative and I get to make people laugh and I'm getting paid to do that. And whether that's uh, with a publication on a TV show, like as long as I'm with a group of great people and we get to create and make the world a slightly better, more informed place, then honestly, I cannot complain a single bit. I feel like that that sounds very improv-esque because it's yes and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you see how you take improv for so long, some, some method just kind of gets ingrained into your body. So <laughs> I feel like I, uh, thank you for also having me realize I probably am now officially fully indoctrinated into the improv <laughs> uh lifestyle so thank you for helping me uh realize that even though i have uh, a certificate like i took the full improv course at improv boston and i was like okay i got the certificate but it feels like something's missing so thank you for that breakthrough there you go listeners if you need therapy comedy is therapy and we just had a breakthrough right now so i think i think this is a good interview we're not going to stop though we probably should mic drop but let's keep going so do you do you feel now having had several publications under your belt that you feel more like a writer because there's that whole idea of some people feel like oh I'm, I'm writing a couple things I don't feel like a writer yet do you just feel that that's that's a part of your being now yeah definitely like you know identifying as a writer is definitely like almost like intrinsically like part of my identity in like a mm-hmm. weird way but I also don't want to like just pigeonhole myself into that like one box I like to consider myself like a performer and you know just like a creator like uh, I feel like you know you should like open yourself to being like many things to Mm -hmm. many possibilities but yeah definitely the writing that's definitely like just comedy in general has always been like that one community and I'm not sure if anybody I think everyone comedy has had that point where it's like maybe I'll just walk away this is a hard this is going nowhere but then I think to myself where am I gonna go and then I remember basically everyone that I like and everyone that I know and everyone who has basically made me feel like a person is in comedy. I'm just like, okay, like without even knowing it, you pulled me back in. <laughs> it, it called you. It won't let you go. There, there, yeah. too many, there are a lot of fun people in comedy, which you kind of would hope since it's comedy. So let's let's talk a little bit about just your process as a writer. So, and, and specifically, maybe we can talk about it through the lens of the combat boot piece which I loved. And it's, it's funny because I re- I remembered going back to the, one of the first emails you sent and the first piece that you ever sent us, you had put in your bio that you had a superpower for combat boots. And then I saw it show up as, as an article for Greener Pastures. And I thought that's like the best callback ever, but it's like an in-joke callback. I, I loved that. So let, let's talk. How did you come up with the idea for the combat boot piece? 
so people who know me are probably not going to be surprised that, of course, this is my first podcast. And, of course, I cannot avoid talking about Lara Croft. Um, where I, I always assist where like, she's not like my whole life, but somehow I always like inspire myself ends up in the conversation. But yeah, even though I only started playing those games, maybe like in 2016, but long story uh, short, I was playing and especially like on like the PS one and that sort of thing. And it's one of the few things that's consistent about Laura. She's had, she's worn tank tops or shorts. She's worn swimsuits. She's worn uh stealth suits. But the one thing that's consistent with her is her boots. And especially like on the PS one, games where that you can only have like three sounds on screen at a time mm-hmm. uh it will always just have these like nice effect whenever she was going over like stone that would just make like this like a little <laughs> <laughs> and with her like running and it was very had like this very like power uh move to it and you know i grew up as like a indiana jones kid and like loving those movies and so i was always like in like in archaeological adventure state of mind and uh of course i think you ask any gaming fan, sooner or later, they almost kind of start to dress like their favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of me, like just noticing, again, one of those few consistencies. And they're always very, like, she always wears very, like, big boots that, like, almost go up to her knees. And they're very, like, thick. And they're very, like, rich in their color. And, like, no matter what, if, how much of a beating she takes, nothing ever happens to them. You know, she and they're can, awesome boots. I mean, they're, they're a central part of that, her character. Yeah, exactly. So I started wearing them to kind of feel like her and, and realizing those kind of made me feel like a superhero and, or feel like, you know, that, you know, Tomb Raider adventurer. And I was just kind of like, oh, like, let me just kind of take that and just kind of see, like, how far I can uh, go with that. And just because, like, I know I'm I'm still me no matter what I wear, which I think is just an important life lesson in general. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, makes you feel like, uh, I know people can't, and you can't see because of the camera angle or anything, but I do have some on, like, right now, but they're, uh, like, <laughs> for your own. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, those see. boots are fabulous. Listeners, I wish you could see these boots. They are they are their own superpower. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, it's like a lot of superheroes also, you know, like do you, I'm not sure if they remember there was that SpongeBob episode where Mermaid Man says, you know, power is all in the costume. Why else would we walk around in colored undies? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're they're fabulous boots and um if my calves were not heroic in proportion i would also wear boots that go up to my knee because they're fabulous so that that sounds like you had that central idea you had the central character that you were sort of embodying for that piece when you write other things is that how you start do you start with a headline or an idea or just thinking back on the last few things that you've written, is there sort of a theme on how you begin them? Yeah, I would say definitely like it's that like it starts with an idea. Um, something I noticed that I, with a lot of my process, like especially when I would be getting notes, where like uh, in, in a lot of the drafts, like for some reason, like the headline might say one thing, but the piece itself would be mm-hmm. kind of like an offshoot of that idea. Like um, I'm, trying to think of I, I can't honestly can't think of an, a specific example off the top of my head but uh let's just say for like this boots piece uh it would be something like oh this seems more like a piece about how uh the boots make you feel like a superhero instead of actually turning you into a superhero mm-hmm. and then having to like adjust the headline mm-hmm. or the uh whatever the opening statement to kind of embody like 
the rest of that. And I think that's one of the reasons notes is so valuable because in your mind, you're like, okay, this is a perfect, like one, two, bop, bop, bop. And then someone else reads it. And it's like, that's not what I got. And <laughs> so like, also I think that's important just for like, also a bit of like objectivity to like look mm-hmm. and being like, okay, does this follow like the headline or do I have to like change the headline altogether? Because, you know, I like the piece, but the headline doesn't reflect the piece or mm-hmm. uh, vice versa. I feel like there there's two sort of ways of of you're either a headline person or a start start it with the idea and then build the headline. And while it's really good, and I I hundred percent believe that developing headlines is a great thing to do. It gives you ideas. It helps you do things. Some of us tend to gravitate toward those moments where you're walking along and you think of some idea that you think might be funny and you have to work on it a little bit before you then find the headline. So it sounds like you're that sort of person too. Uh, yeah, no, totally, totally. Well, let, let's look again at another piece that you wrote, which is actor, not cursed to communicate exclusively through show tunes. That's just kind of how he is. And as someone who's been in, had been in choir far longer than I think is, respectable for any person i thought this was really funny because uh, <laughs> there are people who do communicate in show tune lyrics and you can finish it what if they start something so how did how did you get the idea for this piece uh that just kind of came with uh you know first thinking about the person or maybe just the musical theater community as a whole where uh, i'm sure anybody who's been in a musical will know that if you know you get so attached to the songs at some point that somebody will drop the most like benign statement and then someone will just break into the chorus because <laughs> it seems almost like a cue to them. And so I just start thinking uh, about that. And somewhere along the line, my brain started to think about like those old like folklore or witchcrafty stories where, you know, like a witch curses someone who to either sing for the rest of their life or speak in limericks or, uh, you know, rhymes everything and that sort of thing. And then, so that was just kind of like the light bulb moment of like, oh no, like they're not cursed. Like that's just the way they are. (laughs) Uh, I I think we probably both know people who are like that. Just they, they, they will pick up what you put down. So yes, very nice. So We've talked about a couple of your pieces, and one of the things we like to do on this podcast is leave people with some tips and things that work for you that they may try to do in their own writing and their own improv. Do you have a tip for, for writing humor or satire that, that has helped you that might help somebody else? Uh, I would say uh, trust your instincts and keep moving. I think those are two very big things uh that's definitely been the most helpful for me because a lot of times you will definitely feel like you either want to stop or take i mean it's always good to like take a break and you know get a you know just cleanse your brain mentally but mm-hmm. also to like just again just keep moving because you you never know you never you, you can't even imagine what's going to be on the other side of the rainbow exactly. if that some term like that you know what i mean yeah the next the next thing because this profession this calling whatever you you want to call it is full of a lot of rejection and there's a lot of because it's creative you're you're literally making stuff up and it can be hard to see when you've made one thing that that well of creativity is still there it's going to produce something else 
So I, I think that's a really good thing to talk about, that we, we just keep going. Even if we have to pause, we have to refresh, we have to feed the creativity by doing other things, it's still really, really important to, to keep going. So thank you so much. This uh, The thing about these interviews is that they fly by. It does not feel like we've been here for almost 20 minutes, <laughs> but we have, and it's lovely. I, I would like, if other people would like to follow you, because you are you are a very good uh, social media citizen and are <laughs> constantly pointing out other people we should all follow, and I know I've, I've benefited from that. How can people follow you and see the, the work that you are putting out? Uh, yeah, sure. Just follow me uh, on Twitter at just a very Smith. Can you spell that for them? Yeah, uh, capital J, just, capital A, uh, capital v e r y capital s m i t h on twitter i wanted to use my full name but it wasn't long enough so twitter was like no you have to <laughs> so i was like oh okay but uh there's that phrase i think they say like uh, uh limits inspire creativity or something like that there you go so and do you have a website that they can go to uh yeah i mean if you're morbidly curious about me you can go on justinavrysmith.com but it is pretty bare bones and uh, for now yeah yeah, because it's just it's honestly mostly like uh, just links to my pieces uh my resumes and just nice things people have said about me which is honestly kind of more for me than anyone else just oh hey it's good and people if people want to read your work which they should because it's good work that's where they can go so thank you very much justin i am going to turn to the listeners now and say that please follow Justin on his socials. You won't regret it. And if you would like more about Greener Pastures, you can find us on Medium to read some of our work there. And tune in next time, next Monday, where we have another interview. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you so much.